Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and today's guest, Tessa McLaughlin, is here to talk to us all about how she started Quench, which is a workspace out in Victoria, British Columbia, and it is massive. It is gorgeous. It is just one of the coolest places I've ever seen. It's also where feisty media calls home for those who are lucky enough to be in the space. And, you know, today we're just talking all about the idea of opening your own physical space and what goes into it, you know, from from the really macro level of, oh my gosh, I need to get funding to open, you know, the studio, the gym, the whatever space it is that you're thinking about, uh, down to like the finishing touches of how to really think about interior design even. Uh, because, you know, we talk, as we talk about, the, the physical space you're in really reflects the culture of your organization. It reflects your values. It really shows the kind of, you know, person you want to bring in. It, it really just completely changes the, the lens of how we're, how we're looking at our business. You know, think about the different gyms you've been in over the course of your life, right? There's, there's been some studios you walk in and you just breathe that really deep sigh of just, ah, this is my place. And then there's some, some studios you walk into and it's a little bit, you know, you're, you're just not particularly into the vibe. So we're talking all about how to create that vibe and not just through what color we're painting the walls, but also, you know, how we're thinking about the business, how we're, how we're thinking about marketing, how we're thinking about bringing people in, what events we're holding, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we also get really honest about the ins and outs of this because honestly, uh, you know, as we talk about, and as most of you know from the last few years, owning a physical space can be really risky in a lot of ways. I mean, it can also be amazing in a lot of ways. Obviously, Tessa is still happily running Quench after a couple rough years, but, uh, you know, and, and she's expanding, but it's, it's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. So this is definitely a must listen to conversation for anyone who's even kind of considering wanting to own their own space or rent their own space to have, whether it's a studio, a shop, an office, whatever it is, this is going to give you some great insight into what that looks like. Uh, for a really, really badass business owner. And definitely make sure you check out clubquench.com. It's K-W-E-N-C-H.com. And of course, before we get into it, just make sure you're following this podcast now on its own feed. It's The Business of Fitness. You can find it. uh, Look for me, Molly Herford, and you can find us over at business.of.fitness over on Instagram. And any ratings reviews would be so, so helpful as would any, you know, if you have any suggestions for what you want to cover, what questions you have for as a business owner or a wannabe business owner, just hit us up over, over at the business of fitness on Instagram. All right, let's get into this episode with Tessa McLaughlin. Okay. Oh my gosh, Tessa, I am so excited to talk to you. Because I think Club Quench, I mean, looks amazing. I'm like very bitter that I am not out on the West Coast (laughs) and have not been there in real life. But you do a fabulous job. I'm just going to start by like complimenting the crap out of you. Your website, your Instagram is just like, I'm just like, I want to live in Club Quench. So. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah. Well, where, where are you? Uh, so I'm in Collingwood in Ontario. So I'm like an hour and a half north of Toronto. Oh, well, that's because I just got back from Toronto yesterday because I was looking at locations in Hamilton and Toronto to put a quench out there. Oh, my goodness. So my fingers, my toes are crossed. I'm like, please come immediately. That would be fantastic. Um, and so this is, a, you know, this podcast is the business of fitness, but I actually, as soon as Sarah mentioned you, I was like, we have to have you on because I think you're such an inspiration for someone who wants to start a fitness studio, to be honest, like, because the physical space aspect is just like what you're doing is so good. Um, so let's just start with like backing up to the origin story. Tell me all about the roots of club quench, how you got started. Like, have you always been in this entrepreneurial space? What, how did you get here? Yes. So we call it quench. Um, so you don't have to put the club in front of it if you don't want to. It's just that when you go for a website, they didn't have quench.com, so I called it Club Quench. Um, but anyway, um, so your question was, where did we start and why did I, why did I start Quench? Mm-hmm. Okay. So back in 2012, um, my life did this big like, just imploded um, 
beyond out of my control. And um, so I moved to Victoria from, from the Squamish, from the Cedar Sky area um, with my two little kids who at the time were three and five. And when I was here, I, you know, I was in quite a bit of shock and I was really trying to do whatever I could to be there for my kids. I was like, how do I make this work? Um, so I can, I can be, cause my kids were in shock too. And so anyway, um, I, I was, I, for me, I was like, I know that to stay happy, it's, it's on, you have to do, it's on a balance of a few things. And for me, it was like, you know, staying engaged with people, being part of communities, eating well, staying healthy fitness wise and, and staying abreast of knowledge and, and keeping learning. And so, um, and so I was trying to do all those things while also single parenting. And, um, and then I was just like, oh my God, this running around from here to there to do, 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 is actually contributing to what's making me unhappy because it's too busy. Um, and so I was like, why isn't this all in one place? And so this was 2013. And, um, yeah, and so right around then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start that then. I'm, if I want to, if I want this, I know I'm not unique enough that, that I could be the only person that wants this. And so I was like, well, I'm going to start it. And so that's kind of what got me going. And, you know, around that time, um, co-working was sort of uh, becoming a thing. And I was like, well, this could be the foundation for what, what I want the business to be. And then I can build the rest, the culture on the, on, on the foundation of the co-working. I love that. And actually, I was the next thing I wanted to kind of mention is work and culture, like work plus culture is kind of in baked in the motto there. Like, why did that matter so much for you? And I mean, this is probably like a question. This is literally a question that could write books about it. But like, how do you decide what your culture is going to be? Like, were you vision boarding it, mood boarding it, like writing no. down? <laughs> This, this is the culture. It's right here. Like, you know, for me, um, I obviously culture comes in many different sizes and, and shapes for many people. For me, I wanted to, I wanted to produce a culture that was, um, supported happiness. So, um, so quench is an acronym. It stands for knowledge, wellness, experiences, novelty, curiosity, and connection, bringing health and happiness. So everything in here is based on those pillars. What do we do in here that supports happiness? So, you know, like right now I'm watching our fitness instructor walk across the room about to go into a fitness class. Um, and then the, the biggest part of what makes us happy as humans are connections are our relationships with the with um close communities and families in our lives and and i believe that in order to have healthy relationships you've got to be inclusive and you've got to be curious and you've got to be you know being curious removes judgment it makes you more open to other experiences and other points of view and um that for me was really important it was like okay, how do we make this place really inclusive and and how do we hang our egos at the door and, and come into this space and, and be a, a safe place for people to be? I mean, I think, and I'm kind of digressing a bit, but, you know, you, you can look at other um, co-working spaces that are, are purely sort of like a real estate play co-working um, and they've got a, there's this big trend of them being quite frat boyish. Um, you know, like tech companies um, can be, not all of them, but they can have that that sort of space that doesn't really feel um, safe for women to be in or um, minorities or people part of the LGBTQ community. And so I wanted to make sure that I had a space that that had that. And we do. I was going to say, you've definitely succeeded. And I mean, it's it's just like very bright, very vibrant, like the the vibe that I get from, you know, just seeing the website. And I mean, I've, I guess I've seen it because I've, I've interviewed several people in the space now. So I've kind of been walked around it via Zoom. Um, the 
the vibe is just so inviting and so friendly and so like effervescent compared to, you know, what you typically would see in like a workspace, you know, where, yeah, it, it just, it looks fantastic. So talk me through, and then I want to ask about like the finding, you know, starting to look for a new space, but talk me through, like, how did you find and settle on the space that you're now in? And like, what did that whole process look like? Because I know there's a lot of people out out there that like want to start their own studios or, you know, their own like physical building where they need the space. And they're just so hamstrung by the sheer like enormous like task of like finding a spot. So I had a really clear idea in my mind of uh, a sort of a layout of a space that I wanted. And I knew for me, I knew I wanted something big and I didn't want something up. I wanted something with a big floor plate. Um, now, of course, I was a single mum with no job. And so <laughs> looking for real estate is pretty, you know, they were asking per month more than I'd earned in a year kind of thing. So it was very daunting. Um, I think the best thing that I got was a commercial realtor um, and one who really understands what you want and what you're looking for and one who's also ready to go back for you um, because there were so many things when I did the first, um, when I was approaching my first LOI, so I'd found a building and I had to give them um, a, a letter of intent and I didn't know. I had no clue what things I was asking for and that you could negotiate rent. I mean, you can't negotiate rent when you get a house, you know. And so there were all these things like, oh, but you can get tenant improvements up front or you can you can add that in, get them to do it and then add it into your lease. Like there were so many things that like absolutely get a professional to help you. Um, is what I would say. So whether you go to, you know, one of the big um, big leasing agencies like a Collier's or CBRE or, you know, or you could go with a more local one, that would be what I would do. So when I found this building, um, it was actually an attic. So um, it's a building that was built by a famous architect called um, Rattenberry. And he, um, it's it's an old tram tram building. So the so it's like literally roof and then another roof that went, you know, right beside them like this. Um, and then I came up into the attic, and I was like, oh my god, this goes all the way to the end of the other block. And I knew there were two roofs. Um, there was no light, nothing. And anyway, long story short, I approached the landlord and I said, hey, I've got this idea for this building that you've got. Would you be willing to talk with me? Um, luckily, he was and um, and he was a visionary too. And so we went and built this. And um, yeah, so once again, he then had his realtor helping him with negotiations of the lease and then I had mine helping me um, first of all with the build out and then um, and then with confirming the lease. So it's so scary when you are trying to sign a lease because it's so much money and it's a thing like you have to pay it as we all found during the pandemic, just because you're not operating doesn't mean you don't pay it. So um, I have a pretty interesting story actually. So when, um, when, it came time to actually sign the lease. So we'd already built the space. We were probably about five months from, four months from moving into the building. And um, I had a clause in the, in the LOI, the letter of intent that had said that if I haven't found the financing by the time it came to sign the lease, I could back out. And so the building was nearly done and I had no financing. None. I hadn't, like, I think, well, sorry, that's not true. I had found um, a small a small percentage of it for some, some, from some awesome um, angel investors. Um, but I needed close to another million. And, um, yeah, I was like, my, my lawyer and my realtor and my parents were just like, do not sign that lease. Like, just do not sign it. And um, and I went to bed that night. I'm just going to move because I can see there's sun on me. Um, 
I went to bed that night and my life had been very stressful because I was trying to raise over a million dollars to build something. And and unfortunately, women, single mums with uh, no assets are not really what the bank's looking for. Um, and so anyway, I went to bed that night and I was so stressed and so upset. And I was just like, okay, universe. I literally did one of those, okay, universe. Like, you've brought me this far. And I really don't think you've got me this far to to turn back now. So if I don't get a sign from you tomorrow that I shouldn't sign that lease, I'm going to sign that lease. <laughs> I love that you went with like the, the reverse. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. So I was like, so I'm looking for a big sign. And if you don't give me that sign, I'm signing the lease and I'm just going to have to trust. And so I did not get a sign that I noticed and I signed the lease. So it was, yeah. And, and, and as I say, the rent on the place was more for per month than I'd earned in a year. Um, and I was signing a 10 year lease. So, yep, it was definitely a nerve wracking time. And, um, but here we are now, I made it work somehow. And uh, yeah, it's, it's nerve wracking, get a commercial realtor and, try and especially like fitness clubs and and like see if you can work into your lease that they they contribute a, a, a nice amount to tenant improvements um it, i don't know what the turnover is for fitness clubs so i know for restaurants that's a little bit harder to do because they're not always as successful but um that would be my that would be my two two bob that's that's great advice and i do i love the like trusting it to the universe, but sort of setting yourself up to get the answer that you want. I'm like very into this concept. <laughs> well, I was kind of, I mean, what else could have I done? I'd been doing everything. And, you know, it was funny because during the pandemic, people were saying to me, this must be so stressful for you. And I was like, you know, I raising money to build this was 50 times more stressful because I felt that I was the one in control. So I felt like because I wasn't getting the money that there was something that I just had to keep doing. Whereas when the pandemic hit, it was out of my control. I could only work within the constraints of what was being put against me um, or all of us in business and, and, and during the pandemic, all humans. Um, so I could work within that but I couldn't go. Whereas when I was trying to raise money, I was going, I was literally looking at the problem like this, like I was going from every angle possible and, and, you know, oh, dead end, dead end, dead end, dead end. Oh, got a little bit there. And, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as a woman looking for financing, have you, like, if you had to give someone another woman advice for trying to, seek financing was there anything you wish you'd known then that you know now so i mean as you are kind of thinking about second space is there any different way that you're approaching it one thing i've really liked is that i didn't take on people that just for their money um and i think that that's i've seen other friends that are founders and they're just like i just need the money so i didn't do that so all of my investors are female um, which was really tough to do because women also um, have a harder time investing. Um, but so I think make sure that you're getting good investors. Don't just go for money because it's money because it's going to cost you so much in the end. Um, what I had to do was also, um, it was, it's really tough because you're really getting rejected a lot and, you know, you get, questions on bank forms that that are clearly made for well for me it was not made for me because I was single um, a single mother and it's like what does your spouse earn you know what's their annual income and I'm just like it, and then when it's a second question you're kind of like oh like I'm not going to get this so why am I spending this time Okay, so what I want to, yeah, so where I'm going with this is I had to get to a point where I was like, yes, it is harder for women. It is. We know statistically it is. Um, and if anyone says well, it's hard for men too, it is hard for men. Absolutely. 
but it's a lot harder for women. We only get 2% of venture capital out there. And often when we get loans, they charge us a higher um, interest rate and they don't give us as much. So it's harder. I had to accept that that's the, that is the case and then just go, okay, and now here I go. Um, let's, let's move through this now with the knowledge. You're not trying to confirm your bias. You know it's there. Just keep going. It's the exact same thing you were just talking about with the pandemic. Like you have to kind of focus on what you can control and the stuff that's out of your hands. You could get mad at it. You could be, you know, mad at the pandemic. You could be mad at the venture capitalists. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not going to get I was mad. the funding. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that might be beneficial to, to your folks is, is that um, one of the things that I did right at the beginning of Quench was I, I got an accountant. And not many people do this because they cost a lot of money. And at the beginning, you're like, why am I spending all this money on someone that I can probably do? Uh, um, you know, I can get the receipts. I can pay things. I can put it into a spreadsheet. Um, but one of my members was an accountant and he's awesome. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this from the get-go. It saved me so much money, so much money. Because when it did come time to looking at angel investors, um, I could sort of go, they'd say, oh, could you send me this, this or this? And I'd go, Joe, do we have this? And he'd go, yep, here it is. And he just sent it to me. And so within an hour, I could get it to someone. So it made me look really professional. And then with banks, because banks need a totally different information to what investors need. Um, so the banks who make you jump through 50 million hoops or backwards, and they're three times too small for you. Um, <laughs> but they would ask for things and, and I could once again email them at Avalon Accounting and just say, hey, do we have this form and this thing for GSG and this? And, and they just go, yep, here it all is. <laughs> so that stuff would have taken me at least three, three months to put together if I hadn't got an accountant from the get-go. Oh, such good advice. Okay, here's the deal. You want to take control of your health, of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work, and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn, then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your inside tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient and then the turnaround on the results is so quick and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today. Okay, on like the slightly more, I guess, fun side of things, you're like, Quench is so cool looking. Um, how did you like, what was the whole makeover process of that building like? Like, how did you how did you decide how you were gonna? Yeah, that seems like the most fun thing. How did you sort of yeah. turn the vision into into reality? And I guess for if you have any thoughts on like for studio owners who walk into like the blank space, what are some of the like, I guess, easy ways that they can kind of quickly make a space feel more like their own, even if they don't necessarily have like a massive budget, if you have any thoughts on that. I don't know if there is an easy way, but that would be, you know, talking to a, a I think for me, what really worked is I worked with a, a friend um, and she was my interior designer. So, and we worked really well together in terms of like, the, she knew the things that I wanted um 
you know, artistic control over. And then there were other things that I was like, like paint colour. Like she would come to me and say, I think you should do this border in this nice sort of deep blue. And I go, great. Like those kinds of things. Yep, that looks good. You know, we talked a lot about the tone of the space and what we wanted it to be like in here. And so, um, yeah, we just worked really well that way. Um, and that helped. Obviously, I like one of my things is I like seeing how people operate in space. Um, so I can, I sort of des design all the flow. It's like, oh, I know I want the offices around the perimeter. I know I want like, there's just little things that are very quench in terms of like how I see people interact. Um, and then, and learn, I learned from the space too. Like right now we've been in here three years and we're about to redesign one of our areas because I can see it's not functioning the way that I thought it would function. Ooh, I love that. So how did you, how do you know when a space isn't functioning? Is it just that like people are just not spending the time in it? Yep. You got empty for me. It's like there's empty seats or people aren't engaging with each other as much. It's sort of like dead space, um, which I can imagine you can get at a gym um, or fitness studio. You know, what's the flow? How do you make it easier? Where do things bottleneck? Um and and often if you get a good interior designer who's i highly recommend doing working with someone who's done a space like that before because like graphic designers you know graphic designers are specialized and like sports people like yourself like you guys all specialize in different things you're all fitness freaks but you know you specialize in different sports and so graphic designers specialize in different things interior designers specialize in different things and so finding someone who knows how uh, a members club works or how to design um yeah how to design a yoga studio like oh no you're going to want to put your mats here or you're going to want a water fountain out from the front and find your peeps yeah, that and the accountant are just like such great examples of like, yes, yes, you can go all of this alone. You could be painting the walls yourself and like picking all the colors and stuff. But yeah, the odds are good. You're going to forget the water fountain or like people aren't going to have a spot to put their shoes. And everyone's like walking in the studio and just getting water and mud all over the floor. And yeah, the accountant, you know, you don't have one because you're like trying to do it yourself. But now, uh, you know, the CRA or the IRS is sending you threatening messages in the mail and you're not really sure who can answer them yeah and we've had that so they do they they i mean right in the middle of the pandemic the bc government um audited us for pst i was like really right like, now right now. now right now you're a we're a service industry and you're audit like i mean super frustrating but um yeah i think I, and, and don't get me wrong i know it, i'm sure people are listening to this going oh well that's nice if you can afford it i couldn't like the accountant, I could not afford it, but I also was like, where's my time better spent? Um, and then in the first quench location, I did everything. I have pictures of my kids helping me paint and that, I wouldn't recommend that. I mean, I did everything in that building, but I definitely had someone, um, once again, the same designer who helped me for this space. She was giving me on a very small budget, a very, she was like, I can give you advice and you can go and find these things. I can tell you where to look, but I can't look for them for you. I mean, you know, all these things. And so I did the first location really with um, her help. And then I did the physical labor. Um, but there was no way I was doing that here. Yeah. I, it, what is it? 25,000 square feet, I believe I read. Yeah. A lot of square yeah. feet. <laughs> That's a lot of square feet. That's a lot of walls. So many walls, so much paint. Yeah, you can't you can't pay your kids to do that. That would take them weeks. <laughs> I would not. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, so on that note, now that that is up and running, I just would love if you could kind of get into like some of like the biggest like hardships about owning a physical space or running a physical space that maybe people don't think of when they're thinking of wanting to have their own spot. Yeah, I mean, I think the there's many things. Okay. I'm going to run through them as quickly as I want, as I want, as I want, and I want. Um, okay. First thing when you rent a place is base rent is pretty much maybe, maybe 30% of what you'll actually end up paying monthly. So when you come in and go, oh, great, it's $4,000 a month. Awesome. 
then you need to almost double that, over double that. And that's actually what your monthly costs will be because you're going to have to have internet wired into there. You're going to have to have, you know, um, your hydro, your electricity. Your, um, obviously, if you're in BC, your hydro is your electricity here. Um, uh, but uh, what else? Um, your operations costs. Your there's all these other things that factor in. So just remember that when you get a get a lease and try not to, um, yeah, try not to let it put you off. But that just don't think. Oh, great, base rent is four thousand dollars. You're going to be paying way more than that. Um, the other thing would be is that for me, I'm just saying. I mean, I was the only employee for um, for two, a year and a half, and so I did everything. I I was in on the weekends cleaning. I was um, I was doing was signing up members, unpacking dishwashers, cleaning toilets, vacuuming floors, mopping floors, getting the toilet paper, buying all the food, getting all the milks and cream. Like so, I was doing absolutely everything, and um, I think that one of the things that I've really learned, like hiring that first employee is so nerve wracking, especially because you're not paying yourself at that time. Um, Cause I didn't get paid for four years. So um, yeah, it's like being prepared to like, you're not going to get paid. That, yeah. So good. Uh, I love that you just pointed out toilet paper because I feel like that's something that you would just never think of until you have that first customer in the washroom, like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and you have to do it all i mean i i've told this story before but you know i had this one weekend at the old location and um and uh i was in it was like lit on a friday we'd just been nominated for a small business award and the guys from small business bc called me and said oh your website's doing something funny and i, I looked on anyway our website had been totally hacked and it was we had to shut it down and we lost everything um and you know building up website people who started a business it's expensive it's really expensive and so that went down and then on the sunday um i was cleaning the space and there was an event in there that afternoon so i was cleaning everything up and then i went downstairs to this new area that we just put new carpet in and new walls in and um and i'm like gee the carpet looks dark looking around and i'm like oh wait a second and it was just getting darker and darker and then i realized holy crap it's flooding like something's flooding the building and then so yes yeah, so the website was down the building flooded um and then on the monday i was going to to work i had because i was the only employee so i had to open up the space but my son was sick and he was only eight years old and i was like oh i can't leave him by himself at home i was like I don't have a choice. Like I, I, you know, and so I ran around to our neighbors. I've got the best street. And I was just like, can you go over at nine o'clock? Can you go over at nine 30? Can you get, you know, and they were all just like, yep, no problem. I ran into work. And then as I'm at work, they're like, my son calls and says that he just vomited. And I was like, okay, well, I cannot be at work if he's vomiting. So I, I was just said to one of the members, I've got to go back to my son. They're like, go. Anyway, that night, um, long story short, I had to race him into hospital and he had meningitis. And so for the, so that was Monday. So I was in hospital with him in isolation for four days and my trying to get my, coordinate my daughter. And it was, and of course my daughter was young too. And it was just this, it was crazy. But you know what happened is that, all of my members pulled together. They got the key, came and got the one. Someone got the keys from me. They opened up the club. Um, they got. They even got a new member. Like they and they ran the whole club for me while I was, you know, with my two kids in isolation in this hospital. So, yeah, it's such an amazing story of what community can do. But it's also one of those stories of, oh yeah, you got to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And there are two ways I want to go with that. The first is just I, as you're telling this story, I'm just like, how did you keep the the nerve, the resilience, the drive 
to keep going on this. Like you've mentioned a few times now, you know, you had no money. You're not taking a paycheck from this business. Like there's so many things working against you and there's so many easier ways to earn a living. How how did you push through in those moments? Like what made you tell the universe like I'm I'm just going to wait for a sign that says no, but otherwise I'm doing this. Yeah. I look, I think honestly there's a bit of be- me now that is uh, still coming to terms with how much stress I was under then. I think that I was the frog in the boiling water. I didn't realize how much I was under, you know, and um, now w- when I do mention those things, I can feel it still in my body. So I'm actually personally trying to move through the stress of that 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 time. And I was also going through a really not very nice divorce at the time. And it, it was such an incredibly stressful time. Um why did I keep going? It just, it like the idea just wouldn't go away. It was on my shoulder. And I just was like, I know that, I know I'm not unique. I know that, like, I know that other people must want this. And, and um, I also kind of was like, you know what? I want to show my kids that you can, you can bounce, like I can, you can bounce back even when you get knocked down this hard. Um you know, we had a nice family house in Squamish. We, you know, we were, it, life was pretty good. Um, and so to go from that to uh, really being financially majorly strapped and no family around, because as you can probably hear from my accent, I'm Australian. And um, so I just wanted to be like, fuck you, universe. I could do it. I can do it. Oh, like it. I've got this. Like I'm not going to be held down. I'm not going to be held down by anyone but myself. I think was my thing. Mm-hmm. Was like, no, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, my kids have my kids have paid for it, and they've also got to see what I've built from scratch. And um, yeah. No, oh, I love that. I love it. Um, and the other piece that came from that story is clearly you've you grew even at the very beginning this amazing community of people who were coming in, and I mean like them bringing in a new member is hilarious. Um, so, so it sounds like a lot of the marketing has been very much like like word of mouth and community oriented. But like any any tips on marketing for for people in these physical spaces? Honestly, I love. I, I'm that's like my most favorite hire would be a marketer. I just want someone to take over that. It's just not something that um, obviously we went through two years of a pandemic um, and I had already opened up a co-working space for another company. So I kind of already had a following from those people and that's what helped um, grow the community. And I just think if you're a good person, you have your intentions are true. You um, are, authentic and transparent and and honest that that you're going to you're going to attract that and that's what we've attracted here and um i mean i i have a fairly good bs bullshit meter um but honestly i think everybody you yeah it's an amazing community and i'm building what a place i want to be in so it's not like I'm going, I want to be loaded with like so many locations, take over the world. I'm not doing that. Do do I want to buy, be financially secure from this? Absolutely. Like that is that is why I'm doing it. But I'm also doing it because I want a place where I can work, where I can meet people, where I can be inspired by the people around me and what they're building, what their life experiences are. And that's a place I want to be in. I love that. And I do love that you also mentioned wanting to be financially stable from it, because I think women, it's funny, we were just at the Outspoken Summit with the Feisty Media crew. And one of the things that came up a couple of times that we kind of had to like push back on is when we were going around at the end and everyone's talking about their their why for the business that they want to start or like the small business that they're currently running. A lot of them had these these lovely, just like really thoughtful whys that were around community and like, you know, making a difference and all that. And we had to keep being like, but it's okay to want to make money and get paid. And as women, we are not taught that. No, we're taught that we have to do things out of the goodness of our heart. And we do this because, you know, we're kind and we're generous. And 
we can be those things and still earn money. And, you know, I absolutely, like, if I go back even before I came up with the idea for Quench, um, you know, my life had just imploded. My marriage had just ended very, very suddenly. I was financially screwed. Um, I had two beautiful, gorgeous children. I, you know, I love being a mom, but I was like, and for me, I was, and I love Canada, but I wasn't allowed to go home. Like that was part of the thing for me was I, I wasn't a, I couldn't go and raise my kids in Australia because their dad's Canadian. And that hurt because that's what I was talking about. That was out of my control. And so it hurt in terms of like, I want, I had to come to terms with it. And so for me, I was like, well, what do I really want one day? And I was like, I really want to move back home. I really want to go back home at some point. And then, and in my brain, I was like, okay, well, you're not going to be able to move back home. My background's a musician and performer. And I was like, well, you're not going to be able to earn enough money to, to have a good life back home if you're still going to be doing music and so you've got to think of something else girlfriend like you and I was like and you have to start your own business like and and I didn't know I didn't know what it was but I just was like okay well and it's like that Elizabeth um Gilbert book um Big Magic and I hadn't read that until a while ago but when I read I was like that's exactly what I did I was like I went okay well if I want this I'm going to need to build a business do I know what that business is going to be? No idea. But by the time that I went, God, I wish this existed, I'd already put the seed of you've got to build a business. So as soon as I went, God, I wish this existed, that was when I was able to go, oh, there it is. Thank you. There, There's the business. And then, you know, you were talking about that, that why do I keep going? That's that Elizabeth Gilbert thing too is like, you know, she talks about if you have an idea and it doesn't go away, um, like if you don't grab it and work with it, it's going to float off and go to somebody else. And it, it will for sure. Uh, your, your musician background actually brings me to one of the other things that I noticed that you do that I think is just fantastic is you also use your space as an event space. So you're also having like actual events there, which I think is so smart for any, like, you know, obviously that's great in a, in a co-working space, but I could see studios also benefiting from that. And it's something that they don't tend to do, but like those sort of one-off events, genius for getting people in the door. For sure. And I mean, I want to um, preface that with, it is another revenue stream and with another revenue stream comes another worker. So if you think that you can, like, if you're really good at running a fitness club, then stick to your fitness club. But if you want to then run events, then find someone who's good at running events. Um, but yeah, that's part of our culture club. I mean, we're a culture club. We, we set up the culture, which is, you know, music and comedy and drag shows and, um, you know, whatever else, the film, and we have that going on as well. So, yeah, but, but it is another revenue stream. So therefore it comes with extra costs. Very, very good point. Um, although it also does give you just the best, like both marketing in the event, but also a lot of your, your photos on the site. I can like, obviously you have some shit like from drag shows and let me tell you, it makes, it makes the space just look so wonderful, so welcoming, just so fun. So it really showcases the culture like in such a great way. But I love the idea of like, yeah, if you want to do this, you probably want to find someone who knows how to do events and have them do it. Yeah. Or understand that it's a lot of work. Events is a lot of work. You would know. So much yeah. Work. Holy moly. Um, yeah. So the, the last thing I want to touch on is actually like where you are now. We're now kind of through that huge stress wave, but I know it obviously like comes and goes and ebbs and flows, especially as like now we're kind of almost back to normal, like post, I hesitate to ever say post pandemic, but like we're coming, coming out of the pandemic, we're coming through, it's open again, people are in. Um, how are you taking care of yourself and avoiding that stress wave crashing on you again? <laughs> I don't think I'm doing a very good job right now. Um, but you've caught me, you know, I, in two weeks, like I just got back from Toronto last night because I was looking at a, a building over uh, there. Um, and in two weeks I head to Australia. And so right now I'm like 
focused on getting everything set up for me being in Australia and chilling the hell out. <laughs> and that's so I think that, you know, I've just been reading Gabor Mate's new book and, um, and oh God, I just forgot what, what it's called. But anyway, um, it's really interesting. It talks about stress on our bodies. And, and of course, he does mention how it's predominantly on women because women have a lot more stresses. Um, and uh, anyway, so I, reading that book, I'm like, yeah, I need to calm down. I need to calm down for the next little bit. So we've just hired a general manager who's fantastic. My team is awesome. Um, they really, really know what the vision is. Um, I think those are going to be really key things that will really help me. And, um, you know, one of my big things is I don't want to grow like a WeWork or a, a the wing or um I don't want to open 12 locations in a year. That's not the way that I, you build culture. Culture comes with trust and trust takes time to build. So for me, you know, yeah, we'll do another location in the next year, I think, and just try and, I don't know, chill out a bit. <laughs> Australia is going to be really good for me. I get to not be the person with the accent and uh, <laughs> have family around. I love it. I love it. Um, last question is, how the hell do you keep track of everything going on, all of your projects, all of that? Are you a pen and paper person? Do you have like an app that you love? Are you using Asana or Slack or what's what's the go-to to stay organized? So we definitely do. Um, we use Asana in the club, but I'm, I'm a pen and paper person. And then I sometimes I'll, in Asana, I'll put the big projects and then I write everything out in a book. I was just going to show you like, and I do these little checklists for myself where I, whoop, you know, I write down all the things that I've got to get done. I'm not showing it for too long because all my spelling mistakes will be on there. <laughs> I just never show people because my to do's are really embarrassing because I put everything on my list. It's like tweeze eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> That would be in a different one for me. This is work only. <laughs> oh, no, um, mine's mine's rolling. Mine's full life. Awesome. <laughs> yes, yeah, so this is that's what I do. And then um and then as I said, I put the big projects in Asana. Um I find too many apps is a little bit overwhelming and that books for me are a little bit a little bit easier. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I, I think on that note I will say one thing I've really noticed is from being the business owner. Um, so in the beginning stage, I don't know if you've read that book, Traction. I think it's Traction or Rocket Fuel. It's one of those. They're both the same writer. And it talks about like the implementer, the visionary, and um, I can't forget what the other one is. Um, at the beginning of starting the business, I was all of them, all of them. And And now the business has got to a point where I can't be all of them. And that was a really interesting sort of stage for me to accept that I'm actually not implementing very well anymore or managing my people very well. So it was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally letting them down because I'm not doing that part well anymore. And so then it was like bringing in the general manager who can take over that part and then I can concentrate on the visionary part. I think the fact that you can understand what you're not doing well shows that you're doing very well at like the overarching <laughs> concept of it for sure. Maybe. Let's hope. I think you're doing great. I think you're doing great. Uh, and on that note, tell everyone where they can find Quench if they happen to be in your area, but also maybe keep an eye out for, you know, this this next Ontario location here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so you can find us at Club Quench, um, spelled K-W-E-N-C-H dot com. And so there you'll see our Victoria location. We're actively looking for space in Vancouver. And um, and because Vancouver is so expensive right now, we've been looking in Hamilton and Toronto as well. Okay. So um, I know I'm really excited about that, except um, it snowed on Tuesday in Toronto. And, and so when I left yesterday, it was pretty slushy. Yeah, we got another six inches last night. So Oh, you, you know. did? Okay. I was like, two weeks in Australia. You've got two weeks and then I'm in Australia. <laughs> I'm very jealous. I'm very, very jealous. 
<laughs> well, Tessa, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for sharing all of these just fabulous tips and your whole story. And yeah, I'm so excited for when you come to the Toronto Hamilton area. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much, Molly. And we love having Feisty in here. Um, you're such a great group of women and, um, you know, doing so much for elite athletes and, and women in sports. So thank you. All right. Thanks so much for listening to that awesome interview with Tessa. That went by so fast, even as I was recording it. And it's taken me a little bit of time to just process it because as someone who's really kind of dreamed of having their own place, you know, I love the idea of having my own office. Although I admit I also love travel so much that I don't think it's ever going to be a reality for me. But hey, I can dream. Um, This was just such great insight into what it actually takes to open up a place. And I know not all of us are looking for a 20 6,000 square foot uh, co-working space or anything like that, but even opening a smaller studio, like there's just so much overhead that I hadn't really thought about. And some of her advice about, you know, just making sure you're, you're ready for a few months worth of expenses, making sure that your, your rent is a small portion of your expenses or what you can afford. Uh, I just thought that was fascinating and so important for someone who's thinking about opening a physical space. Uh, but I also really just loved talking to her about sort of this this branding and creating a space that she wanted to be part of. I think this is where that authenticity conversation comes in. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily that we're saying you have to be authentically you every single second of every single day, and that's the only way you're going to make it in business. But I do think building a space that, that makes sense for you and for what you want is going to get you a lot further than trying to build a space for what you think other people want. Uh, and that can be true whether, you know, we're talking about a website you're building or an online space as well as an actual physical space. So I think, you know, that reminds me of conversations I've had with Catherine Taylor about marketing. Uh, you really are trying to figure out what problem you're trying to solve for people and what's going to make them feel the best, feel the most inspired. And that's going to really set you up for success, whether you're opening a, a virtual or physical studio. Uh, yeah. So again, definitely check out Tessa and follow them on Instagram. It's at Quench Culture Club. I love their Instagram. It makes me really wish I lived in Victoria. So I'm very excited that they might be coming a little bit closer to me. And of course, make sure you're following business.of.fitness over on Instagram. And I'm at Molly J. Herford. All right. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you're rating, reviewing, subscribing, all the things. I appreciate you and definitely want to hear all of your questions and concerns and what you're excited about as we hurdle towards the holiday season and the new year.